Hello, church family. This is uh, going to be a fun time because we're going to start a new series. We just finished the Fruit of Spirit uh, last week, and today we're going to start Ezra chapter 1. Uh, Ezra chapter 1 is uh, it's something that I've been thinking about mainly because uh, when I was doing Esther, I realized, like, oh, hey, it would be cool to uh, go through this book uh, because Esther is kind of in the middle of Ezra. I thought it would be fun to actually teach through uh, both Ezra and Nehemiah, Lord willing. Uh, another reason why I want to do Ezra is, well, because I have the commentaries for it. Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah are usually in one volume, so it's easy for me to just uh, study this and, and, and teach uh, without having to bring a whole bunch of commentaries back and forth from the church. Uh, so I'm looking forward to going through the study with you all. Um, but before we start this opener time in prayer, Heavenly Father, we're grateful for technology that allows us to be able to um, to fellowship around your word, even though we aren't able to physically meet, uh, we're grateful that we have your word that we can that we can dwell on, that we can um, read, and that we can uh, commune with uh, with you, Lord. And we pray that uh, the study would be beneficial and helpful for all of us. Right, thank you for this time. Praise you in Son's name. Amen. There are certain events in our lives that um, once you kind of go through it, you can never go back. And I remember one time in particular when I was in, I think I was in the beginning of college, uh, our family decided to go on this trip to Asia for a month and a half. Uh, the, the special occasion was that it was, it was a relative's wedding. So we thought, or my, my family thought, oh, we don't want to fly for 15 hours just to go for two weeks. Let's go for a month and a half. And this is something I've learned from that trip is that you don't ever want to go for a trip for a month and a half because it's exhausting. Um, got to the point where people start recognizing us. Like that's how you know it's bad when like you go to restaurants and say, oh, the usual, or you, you bring your clothes to the laundry and then they know your orders. You know, it's just weird after a while. You feel like you're living there. Um, but uh, my family thought this was a good idea. So we went on this trip and uh, two or three weeks in, to this trip, maybe it was even, maybe it was less. Uh, somehow, my neighbor got in touch with my mom and told her that your that our house flooded, and that just sounds weird to me because how did the, our house get flooded? Did Oakland some tsunami somehow like hit Oakland or something? How did that house is possible? What does he mean? Uh, we found out what he meant. It was like a pipe burst in our home. And uh, it just flooded the whole house to the point where water was just spewing out of the house. Uh, in fact, that's how he knew. He knew that when he when the water went out of the house into a, like out of the garage into the, the streets, he called the fire department. They busted in and then they turned off all the water and everything. So uh, my parents were freaking out. This is like you know they, they planned this one month uh, one month and a half trip and then like a week or two in they found out that the home is destroyed and we couldn't go back. Uh, they didn't want to go back because they had all the stuff planned and that the wedding was still coming up and uh, and it was just rough. We we just we had no idea what our house looked like. What is, is it still there? Is it is, it, is, is you know what is, what does it look like? And this was before smartphones, so people didn't take pictures for us. Um, but yeah, for a month and a half, we waited, we waited, and after a month and a half, we went back. The house was radically different. Like there was holes everywhere, mold everywhere. Our stuff was destroyed. It was like um, I, mean, I think the pipes was actually where the kitchens were, so lights were like broken. Everything was all bad. Um, and uh, insurance, obviously, paid. we have insurance with them. You know, we're able to uh, live in hotel for uh, several weeks. So for like a month and a half, we were in this trip, and after 
that we had we're living in a hotel again and then insurance finally gave us a place to live for several months and uh and i was you know going back and forth from college and by the time i was able to go back to my home which is about like almost a year or two later the place was different uh in my mind there's really two eras of, of my home my childhood home there's one pre-flood and post-flood um even some of the counters you know there's certain things that like i remember as a child that isn't like that anymore uh, there's just things in our life that radically changes. And once it happens, we can never go back to it. We can never undo the things that's happened. <clears throat> I feel like that's what's going on here with this coronavirus. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because much like us right now, moving, we're, we're going towards kind of like, at least for SFBC, we're, we're, we're working on the stage, stage of like getting, returning back to church. There's a team that's been working on this for, a week or so now. I mean, we've been praying about it. We've been doing a whole bunch of research. PH and all the other elders have been uh, just going on these different online classes to figure out how to uh, bring us back into the church. And we're finally uh, implementing some of the plans that we have in place. And our hope is to get back into church um, maybe end of July, early August. That's our plan and our hope. Uh, if Lord willing, that's our hope. Um, but we understand that this virus changed everything. In the last several months, the world has changed. We're going to go back into church, and even the way we do church is going to be different. We're going to go back into the world, and the world is different. Um, this is a little bit about how it is, what is a little bit like what the Israel like feels like in the beginning of this book. Israel has been taken out of land for 70 years. In the beginning of Ezra chapter 1, they finally get to go back. After seven years, that's that's like saying if a high schooler right now well, started going to SFBC and it wasn't able to go back to SFBC until like they become a gigger. That's like the, the, the that's how big the gap is. Um, so some of these people might only vaguely remember what it's like, what Jerusalem is like, what it, uh, what the land is like. Um, but now they're going back to the land and they're going back to land where it's familiar, but it's also very strange. Um, again, we are uh, moving towards. Uh, Hopefully a return. Uh, you just keep praying for us as we figure things out. And I'm hoping to, as we're going through this book of Esther until or Ezra, um, that we know how to think about this, um, that we know how to think about like the changing world and how to trust the Lord in, in light of everything. Uh, the book of Ezra is written uh, uh, by Ezra. I think either Ezra or Nehemiah, one of the two. I think it's Ezra because he's uh, he's a priest. Um, but what's interesting about this book is Ezra, although his name Ezra doesn't show up until chapter 7. Um, so this book uh, was written in a, what we call post-exilic. They're, they're, they're not uh, exiled anymore. Uh, the Israelites was kicked out uh, of the land at 598 B.C., and the reason why they were kicked out is because of their sin. Uh, from Joshua all the way to the end of Second Chronicles, this was for a 400-year period. And during those 400 years, they just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, they kept uh, uh, giving up their sin into, uh, and started worshiping uh, pagan idols. Uh, they kept forsaking the Lord. They kept killing God's prophets. And time and time again, God was patient with them for 400 years. And after 400 years, the Lord said, had enough. Um, and just to put things also in perspective, Second Chronicle, Ezra is after things like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And even kind of part near Daniel. So it's kind of, so if you, I know that our Bibles have the prophets later, but if you want to put in chronological order, they're actually before this. 
so you have to think like this is toward the end of the uh is the end of the Old Testament canon. We're reaching the end here uh, in the in the entire Old Testament. Um, but the prophets warned them. The prophets warned them what was going to happen, and they did not listen. But yet God was so patient for 400 years, and for 400 years after that, they they went into exile, and they went into exile for 70 years. And it's significant because this is uh, this is all prophesied, and we'll get into the text um, in a second. Um, but the one reason I, I wanted to go through this book is it is because we can we want to, I want us to learn how we can uh, live in a very new and strange world. Uh, but yet, even though this world is different, the world that we're in is now going to be radically different than it was in January. We can still see God's goodness in our in our lives. Um, so here's what I usually do. I, I know that we've just announced this podcast this last weekend, so there might be a lot of new people listening to this. Here's what I usually do. What I usually do is on Mondays, I kind of just walk through the text and then I uh, just make some observations and comments here and there. And then Tuesday to Thursday, I usually, that's when I usually um, kind of give applications of what, how we, what we will do with this type of uh, lessons. And then Fridays, uh, depending on you know, what's going on. Sometimes I do a Q&A, and other times I might just talk on a, spe- a specific topic. Some things are current events. Other things might be, um, other things I might have in mind, and, and probably will do somewhere down the line as well. But if you do have questions, feel free to email me, and if, and if I have enough questions, I would love to answer them in these uh, in these Friday Q&As. It's just, it's just a way for me to kind of shepherd you and know what's in your heart. Um, so that's kind of what we do, or that's what I do here on, on these uh, on the podcasts. Again, if you're new here, uh, then you're welcome. And I hope that this would be a very helpful resource for you during this time of shelter in place and being away from uh, the church. So let's start. Uh, uh, chapter 1 of Ezra. First one. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, he stirred up the spirit of Cyrus of Persia so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. And also put in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So what's really cool here, this is the first year of Cyrus the king. Cyrus is a Persian king. Uh, he um, he was considered a very uh, respectable king. He would, like, every, every place that he would conquer, um, he would. He, he was like a great military guy. But not only that, but he had this idea that in order for people to uh, will be willing to subject himself to them, he actually gives them a certain amount of religious liberty. He allows them to uh, worship the gods that they want as long as they pay, pay the tax and don't cause uprising. And this is what we'll see later on with the Israelites. Uh, he he he, con- he goes in, he conquers them, and uh, he wants to give them uh, back their land. And um, and uh, he eventually does conquer uh, Babylon. So he's a Persian king. So if you look in chronologically, Babylon conquered Israel, and then Persians conquered Babylon. And when uh, Cyrus conquered Babylon, he conquered at October 12, 539 BC. And we know this for a fact because there's this thing called a Cyrus Cylinder. Uh, it, it's a real thing that is in the like in some sort of museum in England, and um, you can actually read this event. In fact, you can read some of the stuff in Chapter One. Uh, he in it in the cylinder. It speaks about how 
Cyrus allowed the Jews to return back. So when he conquered uh, Babylon, two weeks after that, Ezra chapter 1 takes place. In fact, if you look back, if you just look at the page before, for most of your Bible, you see Second Chronicles. Second uh, Chronicles, at the last two verses, sounds like the first three verses of Ezra chapter 1. Uh, it's almost as if um, Ezra wrote Second Chronicles, uh, which you know is debatable, but it's just interesting how like all the sequence uh, of history, the sequence of events happened this way. Uh, but yeah, he it says that the first year of King Cyrus, that he his he was stirred up by God. Um, the Lord worked in his life, and it's to fulfill both. Uh, uh, this is here the mouth of Jeremiah. This is actually seen in Jeremiah twenty five twelve. In Jeremiah twenty five twelve, uh, Jeremiah tells them that you Israel are going to be exiled for seventy years, and that's really cool uh, that it actually happened this way. But not only that, uh, when it says the first year of Cyrus, we know Isaiah 44 actually names him by name. This was 200 years before it happened. So 200 years before Cyrus was even born, Isaiah spoke of this guy named Cyrus that's going to bring the people back. In our context, in our American context, it would be like if like George Washington or like, no, it was like Abraham Lincoln. It's like if Abraham Lincoln says that 200 years from now, there will be a president in the, in the White House named Barack Obama. It would sound super foreign and strange, but it happens. That's how uh, amazing it must feel like if you're Israelite, knowing that there's some king named Cyrus from Persia, because you know then just seeing this person's name, you know the Old Testament and the prophets, you know that that means you're going to get to go home soon. You get to go home now. Uh, verse 3, whoever there is among you, among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Who, uh, every survivor, at whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle together with a free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. So the king makes, makes this decree. Uh, he actually tells them that, uh, actually in verse 2, say, thus, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So he, the Lord works in his heart, and he feels compelled to let the Israelites go in. I don't think Cyrus actually worshipped Yahweh, but for some reason, the God sovereignly used his desires to bring the Israelites back into the land. And he does so, he tells them, he tells the Israelites, if any of you want to go back uh, away from Persia and back into Judah, you can do so. Um, and, uh, and some of them did. Some of the people went back and others did not. Now, if you were listening to my Esther series, uh, I said, like, oh, yeah, there's some, there were some Israelites that stayed behind. These are those people that stayed behind. Some of them went back to Judah and others, like Mordecai and Esther. Uh, I don't know if Esther had a choice, but Mordecai for sure had a choice. He stayed behind in Persia. He thought that, well, I already have a, a pretty good living here. Why would I go back to a place that's just a rubble? Um, but for those that, uh, that, that, um, that decided to go back, uh, Cyrus said, like, hey, go and give and support these people to go back and rebuild your temple, rebuild the place uh, so you can go worship your God. That's what uh, verse 3 and 4 is saying. Uh, verse 5, Then the heads of the father's, father's household of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites arose, even 
everyone whose spirit God has stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. All those about them encourage them with articles of silver, with gold, with goods, with cattle, and with valuables, aside from all that was given as a free will offering. So uh, those that were didn't want to go, they just said, okay, we'll support you on this journey as a free will offering. We'll give you all of these uh, uh, things that you need to survive. So he gives them all these gold, give them all these cattle, give them all of these uh, valuables uh, so that they can start over. Um, so the remnants, the faithful remnants that said, hey, I'm going to go back. We're going to go back to our home and we can finally start over and rebuild the temple of God again and worship him finally. And it's cool because then you see the Benjamites and we see the Levites and what significance was and even Judah was even all these like you know, Judah is where the king is going to come from and Levites is what they need for the sacrificial system. Uh, so they have that. They have uh, they have two of the uh, I think out argument most important tribes uh, to start over. Uh, they can have a king potentially and they can have a sacrificial system so that they can be made right with the Lord. For seven. Also, King Cyrus brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from uh, Jerusalem and put in the house of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought out by the hand of Mithrida and the treasurer, and he counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. So Nebuchadnezzar, when he, when he destroyed, when the Babylonians destroyed Israelites, they took all their gold from the temple and then they... Uh, hit it into their place. And, and in, I think in Daniel chapter 7, that's the, the writing on the wall scene, uh, one of the, that, that king there, he took one of the cups that was actually um, from the temple. He, when he drank it, then the writing came on the wall and said, it's over, you're not going to be king anymore. Um, but it's cool because even then, Cyrus understood this. He understood, that, okay, um, if I'm telling everyone to go back home, I'm going to give the things that, that the Babylonians took from them. He gave them all, and then all back to the Israelites, and they said, go home, go back home, and, and, and do what you need to do. Verse 9. Now the, now this was their number, 30 gold dishes, 1,000 silver dishes, 29 duplicates, 30 gold bowls, 410 bowls of second kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver, number 5,400, Shesh Bazar brought them all up with the exiles who went up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Uh, if you look at the numbers here, all the things that they mentioned in verse 9 and 10, it doesn't add up to 5,400. Uh, there's actually some people that say, see, the Bible is not reliable because they can't count. I don't think that's the point here. I think the point is that the, the reason that those things are mentioned in the first that doesn't add up is because these are the most important things. Uh, the, the gold dishes, the silver dishes, the duplicates, the gold bowls, the silver bowls, all of these things that are used for um, the sacrificial system, right? You burn things on them or you use it to you do candles and incense. Um, that's what they were used for. Uh, but there were other things as well. And um, all the things that they were gathered together totaled up to be 5,400. But I think the reason why this is highlighted is, is because of the sacrificial system. It's supposed to be intended that Israel, what, what is more important that they, before they even build a temple, is that they're worshipers of God. That they've become uh, moved by the Lord to serve him again before they build the temple. Uh, we've really, if you've studied the Old Testament, if you know that God doesn't really care so much about the temple, he cares more about the heart. He doesn't even care about the offering, he cares about your heart. And oftentimes the sacrificial system is a sign to show what's going on in your heart, all the free will offering, all the sin offering, it's a reflection of what's going on inside you. He cares about what he, what's inside as opposed to what goes on in the outside. 
So that's Ezra chapter 1. Um, and just, just to let you guys know what we're going to, uh, just some applications for us this coming week. We're going to look at three lessons about how God is with us during strange times. Three lessons about God and his relationship with us during these very strange times. So first, we're going to look at how God knows the future for his people. And second, we're going to see how God works through his people. And lastly, we're going to see how God provides for his people. I look forward to going through the study of Ezra. It's been um, it's just been encouraging for me to read and just um, seeing how God is good. He's He's always good. He'll always be good, and um, and that's the hope that we have as believers. Uh, all right, that's Ezra chapter one, part one. Uh, thank you for listening, and I will see you later. Take care.